Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Did you ever ask yourself, is my husband's alcoholism my fault? Is that a question you ever wondered about yourself, Sherry? Yes. You did? Yes. I'm sh- I'm actually shocked to hear you say that. I feel like we've discussed that, not necessarily on the podcast here, but we've discussed it um, many times. Like, I feel like, you know, because I think Have that... Have you then also asked yourself, does my husband remember anything we talk <laughs> about? Well, I mean, I think, like, maybe it's not the whole alcoholism is my fault, but, like, definitely perpetuating the problem. And caught in because there was lots of times you're like, well, you're making me drink. And, you know, and then I got to blame myself like, well, if I didn't act this way or if maybe I would have just like mm. handled the situation differently, maybe he wouldn't have overdrank, um, which you, then led to alcoholism. Or you, if I didn't stand up for myself earlier on and kind of put a kibosh on it. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, put a I kibosh was on it, like, you earlier in the beginning maybe you wouldn't have crossed that invisible line into alcoholism maybe that would have you know i feel like i somehow could have influenced your earlier drinking and binge drinking habits that maybe wouldn't have messed with your brain chemistry quite as much you just come across so confident and defiant and determined and certainly during the end the last year or so of my active addiction when you were pretty well detached you know you came across like not only is this not my fault but I don't even care that it's happening and so the idea that you I mean yes I can I can think back and be like okay yeah there were lots of discussions you're right where I would say this is your fault and you would think about that but you're just in such a healthy great place that it's hard for me to even remember those days. Oh, thank you. So, that is a really common question. Is my husband's alcoholism my my fault? And I was reminded of how common that question is. That is a question that we do hear from listeners. And uh, we're going to address it not just kind of at the beginning of the episode, but we're going to talk about that throughout the episode today. And I was reminded of that question because this week we re-promoted a uh, post on our blog, our sober and unashamed blog, from Barbara, who has written quite a few uh, posts for us. She is a brilliant writer, and she wrote some time ago an article called "The Five Times My Husband's Substance Abuse Counselor Was Wrong, and the One Time She Was Right." And in that article, she talked about back when her husband was drinking and she, and he was blaming her for his drinking and she googled is my husband's alcoholism and it auto-filled my fault she didn't even have to type those last two words mm-hmm. so very very common question and one i think we should address in detail on this episode of the intoxicated podcast how do you feel about that yeah there is i want to talk about a little bit of history behind this question For another purpose, I've been doing some research and I've come across some studies that have been conducted 
and we're talking time frame 50s, 60s, 70s, where the research question was kind of just that. Um, what is does is alcoholism caused by the spouse of the alcoholic? And I think this leads into some of what we hear when people talk about codependent theory and maybe one of the reasons that codependent theory is often rejected, putting a lot of the blame on the spouse. And, you know, there was an effort in the scientific community, like I said, decades ago, to actually pin the pervasive nature of alcoholism and the widespread nature of alcoholism on the spouses. That's kind of infuriating to me now. And it has been debunked. I read another study in the 90s that took the question on head on and and basically debunked, you know, through their mm-hmm. research, any notion that, that this is... And, you know, I'm saying spouse, but let's be honest, back in the time frame we're talking about, it was, can we blame the wives for all these over-drinking men? That's what it was about. Mm. What do you think about that? Is it infuriating to you, Sherry? I think infuriating is too strong a word. Oh, really? It's, uh, makes me upset, but it's not surprising. Yeah. Not at all surprising that somehow if you were not being a good wife, you were causing your husband to drink, mm-hmm. you know, for years and years. And then, um, so, you know, I would say like that even happens now. I'm sure there are lots of people that are in marriage counseling that maybe they're not divulging the extent of the alcohol abuse disorder where they could be like, well, you are kind of, you know, like maybe if you wouldn't ask it this way or you didn't do it this way. And then that gets spun into you're making me drink. You're causing me to drink at home by the drinking partner. Yeah. It's still like happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, I, I think from, you know, without a, a formal scientific research study because you and I have not conducted that. So our data is anecdotal, but from the many couples that we've met and learned their stories, I I think, I think that pinning the addiction on the spouse is complete hogwash, hooey, crapola, no good. Lots of clinical terms there. Lots of very detailed and clinical terms. Now, I do think there is a bit of a chicken chicken or the egg, though, that we have to acknowledge of relationship deterioration and alcoholism. I do think, and I know of cases where the communication breakdown has taken place in the relationship, the emotional intimacy has gone away in the relationship, and it's gotten so bad... <clears throat> then it has become an underlying cause which a person might feel the need to self-medicate. I mean, I had lots of underlying causes that I, so I drank to make those emotions go away. So it is possible for the relationship to deteriorate first and the alcoholism to follow, but to blame the spouse for that, I think, is a bridge too far. Would you agree? Yes, I agree. Blaming your partner for your alcoholism is not fair. It's not cool. It's not no. trendy. Well, and I, I mean, because I think that we, we like to say, you know, that there are societal, familial, and, you know, influences that happen in someone that 
makes them look at alcohol in a certain way. Like it was glorified in your family um, of origin growing up. So I think, you know, there was, there was just no way that alcohol could be bad. Um, and then, you know, it just perpetuated through the years and then with your, your fraternity drinking the way it did and then your continuation of that and that it was a self-medication, there were things that I did that probably cre- caused you to want to drink more, but it was up to you and your responsibility to not drink and make that choice. So that free will was there. There are lots of times, like, when there are stressful events where, you know, now, like, you have mentioned on the podcast, you go and you'll eat ice cream or chips or something, um, but you're not choosing alcohol anymore. So there are choices that you can make that I feel like a bad situation can influence, but it's ultimately up. That responsibility is up to the individual. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be. I agree. Let's talk about what happened in our relationship. You mentioned, you know, the the drinking culture in my family of origin, high school experimentation, my fraternity and my other college friends just drinking was very prevalent. And that's when you and I met. And you were down for it at the start. You were a party girl and you didn't have any problem with the amount that I was drinking or the frequency that I was drinking. Ooh, you're giving me a face. Did I you? mean, I, it wasn't surprising. I didn't appreciate your behaviors all the time and your actions or, I mean, I thought, you know, you, you, I wouldn't say you didn't handle it well, but there were lots of times where I was like, oh gosh, you're just sloppy drunk. Whereas people that may, and I don't know how much you had compared to other people. That we'd be with in your group of friends. So I wasn't surprised because it was the norm in college. Right. Um, and your group of friends were all have binge drinkers. Um, you know, it wasn't always attractive. But I wasn't surprised or disappointed. To, so you had some things you it, had to kind of look past. Yeah. Yeah. Like three o'clock at the end of the bar. Like that's not an attractive look yeah. for most people. I like to uh, try to you're... nosh on some pepperoni stuffed breadsticks yeah. at the end of the night. Yeah. Just probably that was probably really gross looking. <laughs> Just jamming those in my old pie hole as fast as I could. Yeah. So Ugh. there were some things I had to look past. Look past, yeah, for sure. sure. But for the for the most part, you you know you were still signed up for. Yeah, I mean, for I... our our team. <laughs> yeah. But. I think, you know, one of the things that happened is we got to a point where you were looking for more out of the relationship and reasonably so you were looking for communication and uh, someone who could listen and provide empathy and have real conversations about important things. And I think one of the things that the alcohol did for me, and I think it does for most people, is it zapped my patience, my ability to listen, my ability to show respect for you, and it caused me to have a temper. And so at the same time, while you were maturing and trying to become an adult, and I mean, I mean I'm even talking pre-kids, but certainly into when we had kids as well. At the same time as you're trying to move into from college phase or 
you know, young 20s phase into adult phase. We got real jobs. We've, you know, we're eventually going to buy a house. We, all these kinds of things. I am uh, exhibiting these traits that were a direct, there's a direct correlation to alcohol consumption. Again, lack of patience, inability to listen, just not showing you respect. I mean, I, I definitely, if you and I differed in opinion, for me, it was just a matter of time. How long is it going to take me to convince her my way is right? As opposed to actually listening and respecting your opinion as being different and maybe learning from it, maybe adopting your opinion. That didn't happen much in our early early days. And certainly some of it was just flat out, straight up immaturity. But most of it, I think the fact that alcohol zaps our patience is a big takeaway here because, you know, the lack of patience is the res- results in all these other things. I wasn't a good listener. I didn't show respect for you. I had a, I had a quick temper. Is that how you saw it? Or, or were you aware of that? Were you aware of the fact that the alcohol is what's making this guy have no patience? Or did you just think, oh my God, what have I done? Or maybe oh my, both. Oh my God, what have I done? I didn't. I didn't correlate the alcohol and lack of patience. Do you know? And lack of empathy. Uh, yes, because I understand how it took over your brain chemistry, but it's still hard to kind of put those things together because I feel like you know patience is something. The amount of patience you have is something you're born with. Um, and then you kind of like, then it gets all messed up with like interactions from the world and your time is, you know, stressful or you're short on time. Like that kind of messes with it. So I always, I could see you being patient a lot of times, um, like, and having fun, like with my nephews that were younger, um, you know, when we would visit them, you always had a good time and I, you exerted a lot, you had a lot of patience for them. But I didn't realize alcohol was zapping that over time and, like, your level was getting depleted. Does that make sense? Um, Not did really. You, did you see that my patience was getting depleted and you just didn't know it was alcohol? Yes. And I kept thinking. I, I mean, didn't we just understand. Had, here's, I didn't, a, here's a great example. We just had a plumbing problem at our house. These things happen, right? Mm-hmm. And it took a couple of days to resolve. And I took things apart that I didn't need to take apart because I didn't know any better. But we got it resolved and everything's fine. And I don't remember over the last couple of days yelling or throwing wrenches or, or you know, being mad at my lot in life, you know, catastrophizing basically. Mm-hmm. And I, I did at one point I needed your help and you weren't here and I called to see where you were and I didn't scream at you to get home or... Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I feel like it was a fairly patient episode. And when I com- contrast that with when things would break back when I was drinking, I mean, I wasn't able to do what we just did over the last couple of days. Yeah. I would have drank a bunch, stayed up all night working on it, made it worse, caused flood of the basement. I mean, there would have been all kinds of... I mean, at one point in the last two days, I brought a garden... Two, two times I brought a garden hose mm-hmm. in the house... And, I mean, wouldn't that have caused you panic if I had been drinking and I brought a garden hose in the house? Like the first time you brought it in, I just was still continuing to eat dinner and go, oh, do you need help with that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, there is that 
that it, it's a clear difference now. Well, I just, that's what I'm saying. I know. I just didn't understand that it was alcohol that was acting right, on your patients. Right. I thought it was like life and immaturity and stress and all these other things. And then, like you're talking about early relationship. And then it's like maybe when we were together like 15, 16 years, I could start to see, oh, you know, it has something to do with alcohol. Yeah. Well, the only thing you ever knew... Of me was someone who drank a lot. So it's not like you could compare, oh, his patience is shorter now than back before when he didn't drink. You never knew me when I didn't drink. Right. So I don't blame you or I don't, I'm not asking you to diagnose the reason for the lack of patience. I'm just suggesting that I had a lack of patience and it caused Which problems in the lack of patience continued to grow and progress as you aged. Yeah. Now, I didn't associate that right away with alcohol. Yeah. All on then, when I did start to associate it with alcohol, I realized, oh, he can't sit on his ass and watch a NASCAR, even though he didn't even like NASCAR, but it'd give you a reason to drink on Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. So if there was a problem, a plumbing problem, you'd be pissed because we owned a bakery for a, many of those years where you had to fix shit in a broken down building and... Be responsible for that and then have to do it in our house that was built in 1915. You had to come home and do that. And then it would just zap your free time, quote unquote, which then associated with alcohol because that was what you did for free time. So that's the correlation I started to recognize. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, I think either way, whether... Whether it was diagnosable by someone on your side of the fence or my side of the fence, I didn't know either. I just thought, I mean, I could recognize that I had a little bit of a lack of patience, but I thought I was pretty normal. Normal dude. Of course, all the dudes I hung around with were also drinkers. So if they threw wrenches when they were trying to fix stuff, that just looked like guy behavior to me. And I think largely it is. But the lack of patience was definitely causing issues in our relationship like I said lack of respect um, and being a poor listener being at the top of top of the charts what did you if you and I differed in opinion was that stressful for you did you feel like oh he's not gonna let this go until I agree with him yes I gave I kind of hung my hat up to that notion that I could be influential at all a long time ago. And the only way that I could was start to plant seeds, like drop one little like word or idea or concept in here and there, sprinkling it around. And eventually it became your idea. If it was something that I felt was worthy of, of that mastermind sort of manipulation, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, so half the time it was just easier just to default. To the ramblings of a lunatic, to whatever I had to say. Yes, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Ignore it and hope it would go away kind of thing. Hope we can be done talking oh, about it. Oh, you never ignore I mean, there's hardly anything that you like let go by the wayside. I mean... But I mean, if I could get you just to agree, then you could... Then we could drop it, probably. Yeah, yeah. That kind of a thing. Yeah. Um... And you don't have to answer any certain way just because I'm sitting here and you don't want to hurt my feelings. But is that better now? Do you feel like your opinion uh, has a fighting chance? Because <laughs> I'm still an arrogant asshole. 
Yeah, I <clears throat> you you have more patience. Oh, you're not an arrogant asshole. <laughs> <clears throat> like how you let that one just slide right through. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, you're not as much of an arrogant <laughs> asshole as you used to be. But no, I think that you've come to realize, and I think it's because we have talks and there's sobriety and there's like just the healing that's happened, you can see my point of view. We don't always agree on everything, but you can see my point of view a lot more and I'm more respectful of your point of view. So I feel like now because you will listen to completion most of the time without interruption or throwing in a bunch of questions and you let me kind of get it out, you know, then I feel like you're more receptive to my opinion. And there's lots of things that we've done that have been, you know, things that I have influenced. So I asked that not just so I could get an attaboy um, I didn't, that I things are better now. Didn't I, feel like I gave I you much of an attaboy. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know. That's about as close to a compliment as I <laughs> get, get from, from me. you. So that was I felt pretty darn good about it. But I didn't ask so I could get the compliment. I asked because I'm trying to uh, make sure that um, there is a differentiation between what it was like when I was drinking and what it's like now. So, and you. You confirmed that it it's different now than back when I had short patience and was you know kind of demanding and things had to go my way. Let me explain it from my perspective. I never set out to convince you that I was right and you were wrong. I never set out to disrespect your opinion. That was never there was never a motive behind that. There was never an intent when. When the alcohol and my just alcohol-soaked brain, I mean, my brain changed. And when I was, you know, and it, it wasn't just when I was drinking. It was when I was sober, too, in sober periods when alcohol was part of my life. I just, it, like, everything was moving at a faster pace. And, like, there was a, you know, my stuff just bouncing around in my brain. It was much less calm and peaceful for me and so often I just wanted to take the path of least resistance or the you know I wanted to to complete things quickly because I felt like there was so many other things going on in my head so considering your opinion that would take more effort right changing my mind that would take more effort yeah and so Changing your mind to agree with my mind just seemed easier. It wasn't meant maliciously. It wasn't that I thought I was smarter than you. Well, that's not true. I did think I was smarter than you. Yeah, I, I know now it. that I'm not. But back then I thought I was smarter than you. And I thought, oh, sometimes I thought, well, that thing she's thinking, she's just she's just not right. Or and you I would just think, getting... well, and then I gave you, I set you up for a pattern of... Um, set up for a, you up for like a pattern of oh it's going to be easy to easy to persuade her my way. Ooh. So I think so that it was a learn. So all of this is your it fault. It is all my fault that I just let you walk all over me. Because but I can was... see that it would like because you would come to me and it would be something I don't know. Maybe it was like painting the house or something. 
you come to me and you're like, okay, so we're going to paint the house and these are the colors. And we have to get a new roof, so we're going to do this. And this could be the color of the shingles. This could be the house. Because you just thought faster than me. You didn't want to have to fuck around with me going to the paint store and looking at different colors and standing across the street. What does it look like for our neighbors? I think that you're like, God, just choose a color. Because that lack of patience. I still don't care what it looks like for our neighbors. Yeah, but like that lack of patience. Or like, what is like architecturally and like, not trendy, but like on point with now and you know like I would have had too much interesting to do (laughs) interesting Uh, you know how great I am with technology I just probably would have been old fashioned and had like a big chart but I think that that feeds into that lack of patience because you were faster thinking and you would just it would all be in your head because you were constantly going and almost like obsessing about certain things they had it all figured out and all planned out yeah before you even brought it to me. And I think that that was the concept of lack of patience, chaotic mind, and that you just thought you were smarter and knew what was right. Yeah. And I had set you up to show you that I was easily persuaded your way. Because you had to pick and choose your battles. Yeah. You weren't going to fight me on everything. That would be exhausting. Yeah. So you would... I mean, there were times when you... Especially around the kids... You would say, no, no, chucklehead. I don't care how smart you think you are. You know, I'm not giving in, basically. Mm-hmm. But so, okay, so you were facing all of that. I I just, so I wanted to make the point that alcohol zaps patience and changes the way our cognitive processing takes place. Whether we're sober or drunk in the moment. It changes the way we think. And... That the other point I wanted to make is that was not malicious. I never, I never set out on an evil plan, but I recognize now in long-term sobriety that I don't think the way I used to think, and I don't mean I don't have the opinions that I used to have. I mean my brain doesn't operate the way it used to operate, and so I can see that there was, you know. Problems caused by soaking my gray matter in alcohol for all those years. And I can see that as my patience got short and as I always wanted to be right and as I thought I was smarter and as I wanted to be quick and move on to the next thing and I did all of these things, I went from being your partner and someone that you loved and someone that you were binding your life to and hoping to spend the rest of it with and raise kids with, I went from being that person to being the most dangerous person in your life. And I I think it would be easy to hear that statement and say, oh, that's drastic. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How did you get from A to B there? That doesn't make any sense. But here's the point. Here's the reason I think that I can make that point. We live in a society where it's a relatively safe place. You don't get in the car every day to drive to work and panic that you're not going to get to work, that you're going to get in an accident or that your car is going to blow up. You know, you don't walk down dark alleys in the middle of the night. You know the parts of town to avoid. Um, We don't, you know, we don't run around with people that are uh, doing meth and waving guns in the air. So 
our existence is fairly, you know, tame and peaceful and safe. And so just by me being anxious and being impatient and not respecting your opinion and hurrying you through decision making and being a bad listener, I go, I, I turned into, and, and, and then, you know, let's add on top of that the times when I overconsumed in a big way and I would scream and yell at you and I would, we'd spend all night arguing and we would argue about sex and we would argue about money. Through all of those experiences, I became the most dangerous person in your life. Is that fair? Yeah. Want to elaborate any or no? Not really? I mean, dangerous, unstable, unreliable, unpredictable. I guess that was my elaboration. When in our partnership, the thing you're most looking for is reliable, stable, predictable. Yes. And I became the opposite of all those things. Yeah. Okay. So the fact that the relationship deteriorated as a result of all of that is pretty easy to understand. I mean, it's pretty direct line. Yeah. So when people think, and I thought, I know for a long time, I would say, oh, my drinking, it wasn't that bad. It's not that bad. You're blowing it out of proportion. There's kind of a cumulative thing here. I would look at the specific instance. Yeah, uh, I argued with you and I was irrational and I yelled at you and I called you names and I'm sorry, but it wasn't that bad. But you're taking into account not only that traumatic experience, but also all of the other things where I'm not considering your opinion and I'm impatient and I'm a terrible listener. And when you add all that up, it's the relationship was going nowhere good and it was getting there pretty fast. Yeah, because I was thinking in terms of cumulative Mm -hmm. and you were compartmentalizing. Yeah. You were looking at each interaction as an individual. Right. You know, and I'm looking at like that feeling that you get in that continuum. Yeah. Of the behavior. And the things that the patients did to me, I really couldn't even see. Because if I decided I was smarter than you on something and I talked you into just agreeing with me, even if you just agreed with me and acquiesced to save an argument or to get it over with, I still looked at that as, oh, look at our partnership. We've agreed. We agreed on this thing. Aren't we a wonderful? <laughs> we should be, you know, Life Magazine should come and interview us because look at how great our relationship is. Yes. Look at the things we agree on. And you're, you're burning inside thinking, I only agreed to shut you up. And really, I think you're full of shit. Yeah. Like, that was one of those things you would, you were often a compare and contrast and list, list maker. And it was one of those things where you're like, well, look where you have choices. And then I have to have some choices in the house. And your choices, Sherry, are most of the time the children get to do what they want and participate in this or that. And without, but, but when you would give me that list in the back of my mind, I was like, But you had to put your nose in every bit of it or argue. Do they really need to do two activities this, like, quarter that we're paying for out of pocket, you know? So all the things, there had to be, I still had to go through you, in a way, to kind of get my list of free choices, Mm. you know, or things that I can have opinions about, that that I am the sole decision maker. 
you know, like yeah. groceries and cooking. Like how many freaking weird diets and things did you want to blame our arguments on, you know, like processed Ooh. foods. And so then I had to change and maneuver to that. Well, that was still going through you. There was a budget still going through you, you know, like it's oh, like yeah. my, my choices and my list of things that I get to operate on my own were nothing compared to what you got to do and got away with in yeah. a lot of ways. Fair. You know, so again, it was that accumulation of things where I was feeling very beaten down and wore down and unworthy. And that's why, like, I would fight back sometimes, you know? Yeah. And blow up because I had pushed it down for so long instead of trying to every time there was a discussion... And let instead of like you letting me manipulate, be manipulative, manipulated by you, or I would be like, okay, I just want to save the argument, save the time. It's not that big of a deal. But even if it wasn't a big deal, I was still pushing it down, and I still wasn't being heard. Yeah. So it made me resentful. Yep. Understandable, understandably so. So I think we've kind of stumbled onto something that's pretty interesting. You had very much a cumulative uh, list of things that were troubling in the relationship. And I only really saw the big blow-ups because in between the big blow-ups, I felt like we were getting along because I was getting my way. And you didn't feel that way at all. And I was too impatient, too bad of a listener, too um, disrespectful to recognize that it wasn't a really very good situation for you. Yeah. So then your walls start to go up. You you know, you mentioned that you would push stuff down and then you would explode. So you would have, you know, when we were fighting, you would have those examples, but which I think is really easy to understand. But in between the battles... Because we didn't, it's not like we battled every day. I mean, I think that's one thing that's important to recognize about high-functioning alcoholism and about our experiences. It isn't like every day was a battle. We would go a couple of weeks or a month and just live in this area where, you know, cumulatively it's uncomfortable for you. I don't know anything's wrong at all. And then I would overdo it and we'd have a big blow up and it would give you an opportunity to release all the things you had been holding back and we'd fight, fight, fight and it would be bad. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons that it never seemed like they were significant enough things that I would argue back with because you didn't know that it was that accumulation of things. Yeah. You know, it, it's something small, but it's really not. It's like everything. Yeah. It's, you know, it could have been, you know... Just something so simple that finally, like, I would, like, tell you in the heat of the moment in the argument, well, I didn't even like the colors you picked out for the house or whatever, you know, something like that. Yeah. You know, or way back when, I really hated, you know, this person that you always made us hang out with. Yeah. So, I would get those kind of venomous, heat of the moment, things coming back at me. But then also, as the relationship continued to deteriorate, continued to be a struggle for you over time, you also started to 
build your defense mechanisms and put up walls, which is the natural reaction. I think I would say it's the right reaction if you are the spouse of an alcoholic. It is the way you protect yourself. You set boundaries. You detach. I'm a fan of all of that, a proponent of all of that. I think it's necessary for your survival. But it has an impact on me because I I feel less supported, less loved, uh, less cared for. And because I have grooved into my brain and my life and my patterns, this concept where when something goes wrong, I'm going to drink to soothe that. I'm going to self-medicate with alcohol. It definitely resulted in me drinking more. Now, I can say that without blaming you. I don't blame you. I blame I blame the alcohol for the fact that I drank, drank more alcohol, right? The alcohol created the impatience and the disrespect that created in you a dissatisfaction that you were pulling away from, and you're pulling away from it made me feel unloved, and so I drank more. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, I mean, there's a reason there's 15 million alcoholics in this country, and probably that's what we kind of, that the last attempted an estimate was, is probably way more than that. And there's a reason why recovery is hard and it's not just a quickly solvable problem. Like all the big problems, like homelessness and what do we do on the border and, you know, stuff like that. If it was easy, we would have solved it a long time ago. It's not. It's very complex. And so it's, I think it's, I think it's, we do a disservice if we just say, in answer to the question, is my husband's alcoholism my fault? I think we can say adamantly no, but it has to be no, comma, but. Let me explain the nuance because it's not your fault, but you do have a role in it. And without accusing you, spouse, of being responsible for anyone else's actions, and certainly without re- accusing you of being responsible for the alcoholism of the person you're married to, it is important for you to understand how the relationship di- dynamics as things deteriorate are feeding off each other and making the situation worse without blaming you at all. So alcohol has made the relationship unsafe for both parties. Uh, unsafe for you. I mean, un- unfulfilling as a, for me. Can well, I use that a, word? Sure, but I was just going to say an unsafe space for you to come and tell me how you're feeling if you're feeling stressed. Or for you to feel safe and confident enough to say, I feel like you're pulling away from me. And even though I could have said it a million times, it's because the alcohol and you're a dick. But I wouldn't have been that forthright and said that. But you wouldn't have come to say that. You would have found ways to say it like using, we're not close, we need to have more sex. Those sort of things that just, in a roundabout way, because maybe as immaturity and alcohol you couldn't, find the right words I couldn't and and you certainly wouldn't want to turn to me because I'm not really being a great partner right now I couldn't find the right words that's that's right I did whether it's because I didn't want alcohol to be the problem and so I was looking for something else to blame or because I just didn't understand what was going on I definitely couldn't find the right words Mm -hmm. and I I mean, I have always, and I continue to be, even in long-term sobriety, I continue to be someone who will glom onto the simplistic solution to the problem. Like, if we can, if we can, if it can be one thing instead of ten things, I'm going to choose the one thing to to blame the problem on. 
Why are you grinning? I'm just thinking, amen. <laughs> when you said that, you're like, <laughs> which is which is why, like you're like, oh well, it must be this extra five pounds I'm carrying. It couldn't be the fact it's that you're gotta be the processed food. <laughs> yeah, or it couldn't be the fact that you're anyway, getting older. I, I am anti-processed food, but but yeah, but it couldn't be the fact that it's like, well, you're getting older, and this, and you know, like maybe like you couldn't piece together like that there's a gamut of things it's funny you say because <laughs> you're like it's got to be that five pounds it's funny you say older because when i think about the things the impact that alcohol has on individuals and relationships i do in the back of my head i'm like uh i was also only 24 and i wasn't very worldly and very mature and uh, i've got to acknowledge that that was part of it and you know, now I'm 50, so I do have to say, oh, I've been around the block a few times. So maybe it's not just sobriety. Maybe it's also that I'm, you know, smart enough not to bring certain things up to you. And that has nothing to do with alcohol because that's just, you know, not... Life lived. Not Lessons a path learned. to go down. It's called wisdom. Yeah. But that frustrates me because I want it just, I want it to be one thing. But sometimes the solution is, is more than one thing. It's multifaceted. Indeed. Wow. I've had my coffee this morning. Good job. Good job. That was the chair. Okay, so... So, I think acknowledging the fact that I was self-medicating and a lot of what I was self-medicating was anxiety and depression that was brought on, really, by my own drinking. And I didn't understand that. But, you know, stress from work and life and so most of it was uh, self-medicating stuff that was all about me and didn't have anything to do with you but there was also a you component in that you were detaching you were pulling away and I wasn't feeling very loved and so sometimes I mean sometimes I would I would be like in my mind I'd be like all right that's enough let's not have anything more to drink and then I'd have some interaction with you and I'd be like, well, fuck that. I'm going to drink all I want now. And I didn't engage in that interaction with you to try to stir you up so that you could yell at me and then I could have a free pass. It, I was never, you know, um, manipulative like that. But I did, I did sometimes have interactions with you and they would make me drink. And again, not blaming you, blaming the alcohol and the situation it put us in, but there is... Some back and forth, give and take. Well, and I was just going to add, like, could it also have been, like, loneliness in some yeah. ways that you drank? But but in, wait, but wait. Uh, let me just say, I could walls. never acknowledge loneliness back then because I was married with four kids. So the idea that you could be in a house, a small house with five other people and be lonely, that was beyond my ability to conceptualize. But... You're saying... But you had driven me away from the family room where you would drink because of the... Hold on to your seats, folks. Because of the incessant talking that you would do about your opinionated blowhardness that I could not tolerate to Mm -hmm. listen to anymore. So I found other activities. So I, I I could see you... Sitting down there, and I was like, what a fuckhead. Does he not even know that I don't want to be around him? It doesn't matter. The answer is no, I didn't. But then I thought, no, he doesn't even care because he's just got his beer. 
He just is down there with the beer, and he's fine. He's happy. That's his best friend. That's why we've often, I think, heard in our groups when we've talked to um, spouses of alcoholics, like, they would act like the, that was a mistress, you know? It was somebody you chose. Alcohol was someone you, someone else you chose over us. Because I felt like, well, that beer is your best friend. And, you know, I didn't certainly want to hear the ramblings of someone who was drunk or intoxicated. And I, uh, you know, I could see, like, where you'd be lonely. And I thought, if you just wanted to make any effort, you know, so, like, we would try to do board games or card games or something. And you just had no interest. And then it would be no patience. Because their kids were young and you would, like, they'd get upset over the rules and they'd argue about it. And then you would get mad and scream at everybody. Yeah. So I kind of felt like but you created this. But you didn't see that you were creating it through the alcohol abuse. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't see I was creating it. I didn't see that the effect that it was having on me because I was just so, you know, clouded in... You know, anytime I felt discomfort, I would have something to drink and not not necessarily get drunk, but I would have something to drink. And, you know, it's so societally acceptable to say, oh, I'm stressed. I'm going to have a beer. I need to relax. I'm going to have a beer. And so there was always cover for it. There was always a way to explain it away. But yes, it was a lonely existence looking back because of the walls that I created. But... I could not have understood that or explained it or even accepted it as the truth back then. Mm-hmm. So kind of interesting. So the answer to the question, is my husband's alcoholism my fault, is an emphatic no. Absolute and complete no. But if you want to understand what's going on in the relationship dynamics, you've got to be willing to dig deeper And the deeper helps us understand that because we create unsafe places, me as the drinker for my spouse, and then because my spouse reacts in a natural way to the lack of peace and harmony and safety that she's forced to live in, that has an impact on my drinking. Again, it's not your fault. You know, and... and, I blame a lot of things on alcohol. I, I I have apologized and I've apologized sincerely to you and the kids and spent a lot of time in that space. But I also have acknowledged that I blame the alcohol for this because, you know, I didn't get into this pickle willingly. I didn't say, let's see, what can I do to send me down a dark and treacherous road for a long period of time? I did what everyone around me was doing and what society was influencing me to do and what I thought was okay. If I had known alcohol to be dangerous, I would have made different decisions. But so, so I blame, you know, at the same time as the answer to the question is, is my husband's alcoholism my fault? And the answer is no. I would also answer the question, is my alcoholism my fault? With a very much less emphatic no, but I don't think it's all my fault. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Mm. I think that sometimes I think, like, if you didn't binge drink in college, I wonder if that 
didn't damage your brain more? Because I know there's more research being done on like college students and binge drinking. So I kind of wonder, like, because the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed yet. Yeah, yep. and knowing how much you drank, like in high school. So I wonder, like, if there had been like a more limited supply in your earlier days. But I don't think that the alcoholism is your fault in a bigger way because I think, yes, don't drink and drive was the message we got. You were around people that celebrated alcohol in your family, you know, or it was like, oh, a stress reliever and you didn't really know of alcoholism and your concept and your um, lack of information that was given to you as a younger person um, wasn't a full viewpoint of the damages that alcohol could do. Um, you were kind of just doing what the norm was. TV commercials, news, you know, magazine advertisements, all of it made it seem like it was really just what you did as an adult. Well, you're, you're kind of, I don't know, you're kind of counteracting your own... The first thing you said was... Well, yeah. If you, if you drank too much before your prefrontal cortex was developed, maybe if you hadn't done that, which I agree with, but nobody was talking about the prefrontal cortex. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know any of that information. Yeah, that's why I said like it's just all been kind of newer. Yeah. You know, the binge drinking. So I don't think you were doing anything wrong. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think using it as a crutch for so many years the way you did, I think just developed this really bad habit that then led to the addiction. But you were just doing what, like everybody, it seemed like everybody else was doing or the people that you were placing yourself around. So I want to say, like, overall, generally, I say no. Were there things you could have done as a younger person that could have changed the trajectory Perhaps. Mm -hmm. We don't know because you can't go back in, in time. Um, you know, but I also, like, think about it, like, if I had spoken up earlier and said, really, I don't like this kind of, this amount of alcohol in the house or this amount of consumption, you know, earlier on, like, before we had kids, maybe it could have made an impact. I don't know. Don't you think, though, that if you had known then what you know now, you would have? If you like had known something? the amount of misery that that my drinking was going to cause back then, no matter how scared you were or how young or immature or whatever, you would have just not been a part of the relationship or you would have said, this behavior is not going to happen in my life. Mm -hmm. You would have been more determined and defiant if you had known. Yeah, I think that I would have, whether or not... You know, like, someone once said, like, well... You know, what's it going to matter? Like, bringing up this or bringing up that. It doesn't matter what's going to happen with an alcoholic. You're going to lose. They're going to start an argument about something. They're going to be mad about something. doesn't matter. So you might as well speak your truth and speak your mind. So I feel like that would have been an argument. And those sort of fights would have been worth it. To, you know, if I had that knowledge back then. And not just when we were fighting. Well, not only... Because that's when I would that bring knowledge it up to you. and share that knowledge and and decide what's worth it, speaking your truth. But you also would have made moves to pull out of the rail. You wouldn't have had kids with me, for instance. You wouldn't have had kids with me if you'd have known this problem was gonna 
create all this havoc and chaos and trauma in our lives. Yeah. So you would have done things differently. But I'm not blaming you for doing things the way you did because you didn't know any better. Right. And I'm not blaming you for doing things the way that you did because you didn't know any better. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I just, I mean, I think that kind of brings home the point that certainly you as the spouse are not responsible for my alcoholism. And I, you know, I don't hold you. There were lots of times when I would say, oh, this is because your father was an alcoholic and you just don't understand what normal drinking looks like. Assuming that what I was doing was normal drinking. And we know now that it, you know, that I don't really think there is such a thing as normal drinking, but whatever I was doing certainly didn't fit the bill. So, um, there were definitely times where I blamed it all on you because that was easier for me than blaming the alcohol because if I blamed the alcohol, I had to stop drinking. But the answer is no. There's no way that uh, my drinking was your fault. Um, But getting into the nuance and the details and all the underlying issues is really important if you want to try to solve the problem and move on. And so let's talk about that repair How has the relationship repaired? I think the first obvious step is sobriety. And we've said many times, sobriety doesn't fix anything, but it is a prerequisite. And so getting into long-term permanent sobriety was step number one. I think after that, the things that have to happen take a lot, you know, a lot longer. I had to create a safe environment for you. Not safe from fear physically, because that really wasn't part of our story, but safe a safe environment where you could express your opinions and know that they would be valued. And that if you and I disagreed uh, a good percentage of the time, we'd go with your option as opposed to mine. And safety to make decisions about the kids and for me to acknowledge that the kids are such a high priority for you and you always have their best interests in mind. And I, I just have to trust you sometimes, whether I agree with you or not. And that wasn't the case when I was drinking, but I think that was kind of the first, I don't know, era we had to move into in our relationship was a place where you felt safe. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I had to. <laughs> I mean, I think that you used a lot of the stuff that I would say, you know. Like, oh, I'm I had sorry. to. That's okay. I mean, I'm agreeing with you. Like, yes, we had to move into that feeling of, like, I'm going to be heard and it's going to be validated and it's not going to be dismissed. Those are things that popped into my mind when you're talking about building a safe environment for me. Um, we alcoholics in recovery, we often talk about, oh, you know, when are you going to trust me? I want you to trust me. So rather than me put words in your mouth, why don't you talk about trust? Because I think after sobriety and after safety, then you start working on building trust. And I think a big piece of that, because we hear this from a lot of people, is no lying. Um, you can't 
be telling lies and also be trustworthy. Did we get into a, like how, how has trust come back in our relationship in your opinion? Well, you weren't, you weren't hiding and you were not like hiding your drinking. You might be hiding your amount. Um, I feel like in our relationship, lying wasn't a, a huge um, problem for us because you didn't, you weren't ashamed as much about the drinking. So I think that's maybe why you didn't hide. And I know you say, I just didn't think I was smart enough to get away with a lie. But I also feel like just the comments that you've said over the years, like, this is how everybody drinks. There's nothing wrong with drinking in a lot of ways. Like, so you weren't as, you weren't secretly drinking, maybe just not being truthful about how much. Um, so lying wasn't that piece of it, but, but the piece that had to come first was that safe environment where I could be heard and validated and respected, um, and having that, um, stability helped with the trust. Um, the trust that was broken, I think for me the most was the trust of intimacy and the trust of, of just being respected. That's yeah. where I feel like there was huge deficits. You didn't trust me to like know my own body or trust me to like explain to you why maybe I wasn't into it or whatever. Um, but then that, you know, that confidence that I had um, to feel like you were going to respect what I had to say. So there were so many areas where I hadn't lost trust in you that that it was more of just that consistency that was easier for us to build back trust since it hadn't been really really destroyed in a lot of areas yeah and and maybe that's me compartmentalizing and not cumulative like we didn't have I didn't worry financially even though you were kind of a tyrant in some ways about finances and it made me nervous we've talked a lot about that um but you weren't like hiding money from me. Mm -hmm. You know, you weren't running up a credit card that I didn't know about. So I didn't have to worry about that. But just that lack of, of feeling like I was heard. And the last piece, you know, safe environment, trust, and then is, is patience. I just had to find and this is, we talk about emotional immaturity that we alcoholics have. We get sober and all of a sudden, ah, we got to deal with feelings and we got to deal with emotions. And we do have some maturing to do and some work to do. And it's a huge part of the recovery work. And just finding that patience to not be throwing wrenches around when I'm trying to fix a plumbing problem, for instance, or all the interactions with you finding patience that lets me be a good listener and show respect and not to have a temper. And so all of these things, sobriety, safety, trustworthiness, and patience, in my opinion, that was all in my court. I mean, yes, I don't blame myself for the addiction, but I'm the one that was consuming the alcohol. I'm the one whose brain chemistry got warped. I'm the one that changed in all these negative ways. And so I'm the one that had to change back. And so I, I look at the work of recovery as it relates, 
on on the part of the spouse, the wife who's Googling, is my husband's alcoholism my fault? I look at the work that that person needs to do uh, as um, getting help for the trauma that you've experienced, finding nervous system regulation, uh, getting out of a constant state of fight or flight mode. Um, there's a lot of individual work that you need to do to come back to a healthy place when it's time. I mean, you can't just immediately, oh, you've been sober for 15 minutes? Let me see if I can work on my nervous system. It doesn't work like that. Over time, though, finding those kinds of pieces of recovery are what's important. I think a lot of the relationship recovery is going to depend on the work that the drinker is willing to do. Finding long-term sobriety, creating a safe environment, being trustworthy, no lying at all, and finding patience. And if we can do that, we can create an environment that perhaps if our spouse has any hope left or any um, desire to see it through left, then maybe the relationship can be repaired. What say you? Anything? I think you did a really nice job wrapping that up. Uh, I think you did a really nice job wrapping that up. Thanks. Um, and it's just, and be, the only thing I'd add is just, it is time. It is time that happens. Like consistency over two months isn't a long enough time frame for. Wouldn't, wouldn't have been enough of a time frame for me to feel like, oh, well, you know, things are going great. Yeah. Um, but I think it depends on how long this has been going on, how long it's been damaging the relationship, the things that happened in it. I think when you think about, like, the amount of destruction that was done, you're just going to have to, like, you know think of that as that's just longer like and you have to really both sides need to be open to hearing the destruction the emotional pieces from one another whether it's uncomfortable or not yeah because sometimes for us spouses like to hear like when we hear like our husband who's or partner that's been sober for several years that say oh i feel like a beer would be great today that can put us in a trigger and a panic. Maybe we have to just talk about it. Yeah. But it's going to take a long time. And God, it's I'm never always going to... I And I feel like it's never constantly... It's never, ever, ever going to go away that you have to face the addiction. There's going to be a long periods of time where you don't think about it at all. Well, but I think that you're going to, like, there's going to be interactions or encounters that's going to trigger you. We meet a lot of people who say, I, I can't think of anyone we've ever met who doesn't feel this way, that, you know, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, but I also wouldn't take it back if I had it to do over again. And what what we all mean by that is I wouldn't take back the learning and the knowledge. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to go back to that naive 22-year-old who not only didn't understand the impact alcohol could have, but also didn't understand the need for safety and trustworthiness and patience in a relationship. You know, that guy, alcohol or not, was doomed to a lot of heartache. And so, um, so yeah, the lessons are worth learning for sure, even though it's a really painful way to learn it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, 
the answer to the question, is my husband's alcoholism my fault, is absolutely not. But if you want to understand, you need to learn the rest of the story. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.